Welcome back to Hacker Hangouts on another Saturday morning, and I have questions for Gator, who stood up his own hacker space, not just like, oh, we're like two guys uh, hanging out in a coffee shop, but actually went through the process, stood up a 503, 503-1C3, which is a full nonprofit, stood it up, reached out to people, they have gathered the whole Holon or hacker space is now uh, going to DEF CON. So Gator, thank you for joining us, but let's just start out. Tell me about what it, what is the name of your hacker space? Uh, wh where, where's the location of it? If someone wants to join, do they have to be in person? Like again, I already have all my questions, but what is the name Absolutely. of your hacker space? So the current name of the hacker space is the Awesome Holon, which stands for the Open Source Security Engineering and Modification Group. And when you're telling somebody we're awesome, it's a good tongue in cheek, so you're not taking yourself too seriously. But at the same time, it, it absolutely sets up the entire environment that we're trying to go through and create as a hackerspace. That's that's actually I I love the name and I love it mo mostly because it at one, it stands for something. But I have a guilty pleasure for just making up obnoxious. Uh, but it, it's not acronyms. Acronyms is obviously the or is it an acronym? It is uh, an acronym. Yeah. Yes. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. We had uh, our inter this is like a hidden secret, which we probably um, are. So we send out these internal systems for work, which be able to test internal networks is there and they're the internal testing system by Tuic. And we originally had it, the Tuic internal testing system. And we realized like that one might be weird on a statement of work, but haven't had any clients ask or notice. So that one, we're going to just <laughs> let that one sit there. So love it. The awesome Holon, where is it? So typically uh, we're going through and doing that by handout. Uh, when we're personally inviting folks. So we're out in the middle of the desert in California. So about two hours above LA. Uh, if you guys know where Bakersfield is, we're in that area. So if you're ever in the area and you want to be able to come join up, more than welcome to hit me up. Uh, we're doing everything online at this point because for years uh, we were doing things physically, bringing people in, but COVID kind of changed that. And mm. for the last two years, we've been online only. Okay. So. So let's yeah. let's start off here. What gave the idea? Let's starting at the beginning uh, is the perfect place to start. So again, right. kids listening to all sorts of music, it's now in the head. So you want what gave you the idea to start? And we're going to keep calling it a Holand because that's what you call it. Yes, Holand comes from the book Damon, but your hacker space. What like made you want to start one? So us going to DefCon, we are all there's a large employer in our area that most of the, the city goes to, there's only one community college. So uh, from this employer, uh, cybersecurity was a pretty big deal to them. So they constantly were trying to take people, brand new folks into the industry and bring them in. And a bunch of us met up at a college uh, class and or we saw each other at DEF CON. It's like, hey, I know your face from my hometown. We should talk once we get back home. And it started with five of us going through and saying, we want to have this whole DEF CON thing, but year round to where we have folks that are local that we can talk about different subjects and projects that we're working on. And that's exactly what we did. We literally started in, uh, and I'm going to go through and just for the anonymity of my other uh, folks that helped start the hackerspace, I'll probably just be using handles at this point. Yep. Um, and we started beating at somebody's living room. And it was easy because there was just five of us to start with. Uh, diff we had different presentations that we were going through and doing where uh, the one of the first ones I can remember was uh, how you'd go through and use Tor. Another person was going through and uh, teaching folks how to set up an SSH tunneling system 
Uh, my first one was how to set up AWS uh, for your first online services. And just that entire mess of a process when it came to the GUI at the time was wow. Um, but for years, we had gone through and met uh, once every two weeks. So in our local area, there's something called like a Flex Friday. So most folks with this large employer would work uh, nine, 10 hour days and then get that Flex Friday off. So yeah. every two, uh, we would just get together and talk about whatever subjects that we were working on in the technology realm. So like, what's interesting about this is like, it wasn't started as like, we're going to start a business or we're going to start like a way to be profitable with this. It was legitimately just like, let's, let's hang out. Like, let's, let's, let's take a time. Let's find a place and then let's go hang out. And what made you go, let's make this into an official, like, like hacker space. Like what, what make, I guess what, what is the different, what, what makes it a hacker space versus just people hanging out as friends? So that's a good question. And uh, we came up with different bylaws at the, the time where we were saying, we well, let's invite just more than these five individuals who are going through and creating this content. And we, we grew out the group a bit. We actually outgrew the living room. And then we went to a larger location. We actually got to, I had rented a new location at the time. It had a huge attached garage that was all finished. And it was like 800 square feet. So we went from a small wow. living room for about five people up to 800 square feet. And we could fit at max, we are fitting 25 people in there. Um, so when we're talking about like huge numbers or like when you're talking about like the sin shop comparison, they had a huge footprint. They could have lots of people in at the same time. We started small and organic. Um, okay. For us, the important thing was that we were making sure that we are sharing what we were learning. And even if one new person was coming a week, we were still fostering that and helping the community by bringing them up, training them up and or just sharing our information. So the focus was not business related whatsoever. It was more making sure to build that, that organic community. Okay. So like if I wanted to start one, for instance, your, your rec, it sounds like a recommendation would be like, start with friends, friends hanging out and then start like, I, we always, jo I always joke, like when you go to DEF CON, one of the biggest things I've learned there. And I think is like one of the most rewarding things is you, you leave. You leave a space for Jesus. That's that's where when you're standing <laughs> when you're standing in a group, you make sure there's a spot for anyone to just walk on in and join the group. Uh, that comes from when you were when you were hugging people. You leave a little space for Jesus when they can just come <laughs> on in and uh, join you. And it seems like that's how you start it. Start it with friends, oh, and absolutely. then when you go, whether it's to a coffee place, if you don't want to start in your house, you'd go to like a coffee house or something like that. Absolutely. You, That's how we started the Linux space is it was a coffee okay. shop or a uh, it was actually a Greek restaurant at the time. So they would the, the owners were totally chill because they were interested in Linux and it was just organic to where a whole bunch of folks would show up. We would talk about what we were doing that week in Linux and it's like, hey, you can meet in a public place as long as you're buying a little bit of food. You can have a, a verbal agreement with the owners. Start mm -hmm. organic because you may not be comfortable with bringing people into your home either because then you're like, uh, hey, can I kick these people out type of a deal? So uh, finding a, a good time for folks to meet, even if it's just like two or three of you to start with and you can start organically growing it out. Okay. Absolutely. Coffee shop what, works as well. So at one point you had to go to this bigger building. How did you fund that? Did you just like fund it as a passion project and say, hey, I'm going to put the money out or was it someone who volunteered? Like, how would you how would you go about finding a place like that? Again, if I was starting one today, like, what would I be doing? So I'll level with you, Silk. It was part of my house. So it was literally attached to my garage. And I'm like, 
this would be awesome. This would be perfect for awesome. And and so moved the family in, and then we started moving things into the hackerspace. And the hackerspace <laughs> was just the lab attached to the side of the house because it didn't cost us anything. Uh, we were able to then uh, open up the the office to any or the uh, the lab to anybody who wanted to be able to borrow gear, who wanted to be able to come in and give a presentation. And it just started organically because we weren't worried about making money. We were there to again build that community from grassroots. So money was never our focus. Uh, I think early days we said that we had some dues to where if you you gave us thirty bucks, you could go through and get all the previous videos that we had gone through and recorded in the past. But that wasn't mandatory. And any of those mm -hmm. funds that we did, uh, we ended up going through and using for upcoming projects for the group. So that was the the fun part to where, while we weren't focused on money, there was a there was a treasurer at the time. Um, years later, we ended up moving to, we don't want the, the $30 a year to be prohibitive to mm -hmm. uh, new students. So we would either have other folks go through and who were or better off or had a, a stable job would go through and uh, pay the $30 for the membership, or we just waive it because they are passionate about technology to which let us just, just dropping the dues altogether. If you wanted to donate, no. you're more than welcome to. And then if not, not a big deal. This was way before we had talked about doing the 501c3. Um, this was, mm. so we, we've been running for so 12 I, years now. Oh, wow. So, it's so been you've a, been doing it for it, a long time. So it, it makes like, sense. We went like, to Defcon multiple times and then we made our own local space for that purpose. Okay, and I want to I want to jump into the DefCon news. There's DefCon groups too, and I have a question around there. But you have you've now escalated. You found your your location. I guess the question is, is like one of these weird ones is like, why do you need a location? Obviously, to like meet and group up and things like that. But is it to store equipment to give presentations? Like, what is what is having the space really gain you? And like, do you especially so, as being part of your house? Do you have like any time anyone wants to come and work here? Is it like a co-op space? Or is it more of right. an event? We're going to meet on this day doing this thing. So that's a great point. And that was always the issue to where, okay, if I was not working at home and my my job took me someplace else, do I want just anybody to be able to walk into my house with my wife and kids? Probably not. Um, so in that use case for ours, we went through and had every Flex Friday, uh, our official meeting. But then we also hosted uh, Linux user groups. We hosted the security plus training groups. And depending on the time and season, we would go through and make that multiple nights a week, like on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays type of a deal. Uh, we would usually go through and have a newsletter. We'd have a Discord channel set up and a calendar so folks would know, hey, it's open space during this time frame. Come borrow equipment. And I can't tell you how many times people are like, hey, uh, at the hackerspace, can I borrow this tool? I'm like, yep, absolutely. Just swing so by, you can come pick it up. And then it's rented out basically. This brings up like the purpose of getting together because someone in chat asks, is there a range? And if so, have you considered opening up a blue or purple teaming? I work for Splunk and could assist with the collection and licensing one. That's really cool. Please like at the end of this video, leave a, if you want someone to reach out, leave it as a comment down below. And then if people see that they can reach out and get some of that information. So really, really appreciate that. But the question is like what, when you grew, you grew up or organically, you say, was yes. the topics really based on people's passions? Like, for instance, I'm I'm weak on hardware hacking, but I imagine if like Bunny started one, he'd have mm -hmm. digital digital logic analyzers and soldering irons. Was a lot of your like starting topics and equipment based off of just people's passions, or did you like purchase some stuff originally? Uh, 
early days, it was all passion projects. And I would still say we're driven by that because when you can get somebody to talk about their passion, you've got a fire in their eyes that they want to share. And that becomes um, uh, the word that I'm looking for is contagious is the, the <laughs> word I was going to say. And the, in the age of COVID, contagious is probably not a good word anymore to use, <laughs> but um, their their passion was contagious. And other people would be like, hey, I could use that project in my home in life, too. What do I need to get to get up to the same area? So mm-hmm. we would go from here's a pitch of a topic that a project that they're working on to here's a workshop. We've bought the equipment or we've bought the materials. Let's build it together. It's infectious, I think, is what you were looking infectious. for. Infectious. <laughs> that works too. <laughs> still not a great term, has not aged too well. Right. So, okay. So, in that, that's the thing is like, I think when you have you ever done like, we'll say community events, like one of the ones which have always fascinated me is like lock picking. Like being oh, able yeah. to like bring people around like that one. I think it was when we were, we did a live stream last week or two weeks ago talking about teaching hacking to kids. Talking about lockpicking is such a cool gateway into hacking because it learns them, you know, obviously fine motor skills, but start piecing together and visualizing a lock inside their head. Absolutely. Uh, so to answer your question, absolutely yes. Uh, there was a makerspace that came in that we went through and helped stand up and say, hey, Fantastic. Glad to have you here. We went, moved out them or moved out with them to work together to bring out the community. Uh, when it talks about having just open days to the public, yes, we absolutely had lockpicking sessions to where we would say, hey, here's the information from Tool because they're awesome when it comes to resources. Here's the rules about our area and how you can have lockpicks or not have lockpicks. And again, everybody needs to check their local area for this. But honestly, Silk, that was the onboarding or the gateway skill that most people uh, start with to get into more of the cybersecurity and hacking. So if people are saying, oh, I'm, I'm not smart enough to work on that code or do compliance or anything down those lines, lockpicking and getting physical with it absolutely was that. So it would be to the point where just opening it up, having lockpicks on the table, teaching them how to go through and do so uh, at different parties that we would have at the, the lab as well. We would absolutely go through, bring out the lockpicks. And we had anybody from uh, six-year-old nephews all the way up to uh, 70, 80-year-old grandparents going oh, through awesome. and just sitting there and learning how to lockpick. And just like when we're at DEF CON, I think one of the, the main things is seeing the aha moment uh, yeah. in an adult is amazing. When you're raising, raising kids, you get to see it when they're young all the time, which is great. But I can tell you what, there's nothing quite like seeing an adult have that aha moment when they're going through and picking that lock and then seeing that spark and then they just start running after it, which is really cool. That's cool. I I, I have two more questions for you. But right before I'm going to ask you about whether or not like why did you not or become a DEF CON group? I also want to dig into, oh, goodness, the 503. 501c3. No, 501c3, (laughs) the nonprofit organization. Right before we get that, Ronan in chat asks, uh, can you comment on flooding in Las Vegas? Will this affect anything I'm concerned about? What we'll do is we'll take a, seg- a segment at the end of stream and we'll talk DEFCON 30. Um, but for now, we're going to focus on hackerspace. But yes, I was looking into that this morning and there is a few things I have like churning in my head. All right. DEFCON it- groups. So DEFCON groups has a ton of different groups all over the country. Usually there's like DC th- you know, 313 and DC uh, 303 for Colorado. And these are all kind of like DEF CON sponsored groups, but you didn't do a DEF CON group. You did your own. What was your reason why um, you, you either went with it, why you didn't or didn't go with a DEF CON group? 
That's a great question. So uh, early days, I think we looked at it and they're only wanting us to go like through and meet on certain days. And because of this largest employer in the area, um, that wasn't conducive to what we were trying to go through and do. And our other concern early on, uh, we were goofing around a little bit too. When we start in somebody's living room and there's just people hanging out, as an example, uh, the early name of Awesome was not Awesome. That was about our fourth attempt at naming it. Um, because we started going from DEF CON and we went to NoobCon. From NoobCon, we went to the People's Penetration Tester User Group. Because that's what we were focusing on at the time. People's Penetration Tester User Group. And the acronym for that was PPTUG. Okay. That's how serious we were early <laughs> on. Um, I wasn't there for that naming convention. I had only missed like five meetings in the entire time we've been running. That was one of the important meetings I missed. Uh, but <laughs> when it came to trying to do the community outreach, uh, yeah, the, the president at the time could not keep a straight face when he was talking about our club. Uh, so we changed it to Awesome, meaning the Open Source Security Engineering Modification Group. And from there, things started taking off a, a lot more. Why didn't you go with a DEF CON group? So I, I don't think any of us were sure how long this thing was going to be around for, to be quite honest with you, Silk. Okay. So I don't know that we avoided it for any particular reason. I thought early days, like I said, you could only do it on certain days of the week. And Fridays were the the flex Fridays were the only days that we could meet as a group early on. So and okay. then just hadn't looked back. We I know like there were other concerns about getting corporate sponsorships. And I'm not sure that's how DEFCON groups actually work. And I should find out now versus what we were doing back then, because a lot has shifted when it comes to folks going through and running it now with us. OK, um, but so it the, sounds like a lot days, of. Yeah, early days, it sounds like you were unsure about how long it was going to last. And then now it's maybe something you would look into, but you're kind of like, it's kind of grown up because you are now a nonprofit organization. Right. Why did you decide to go with a nonprofit organization versus just have it be its own thing? Like, obviously, you're now holding money and things like that. You have membership dues. LLC is a legal entity to separate it and you'd run it as like a sole proprietorship or partnership or any number of things. Why did you settle right. on a nonprofit? So we wanted to make sure that we were able to give back to our community. And we have been doing that for years, just out of our own pockets and never going through and claiming that on our taxes. Um, so for folks who were donating little amounts, that wasn't a big deal for those who started uh, donating large amounts. Like, you know, it's not that hard to do this 501c3 thing. And if we did it officially, we could be talking to other people around our community to make sure we can get more money back into STEM because that's who we're reaching out to. We're, we're doing it for kids. We're trying to do this science, technology, engineering, arts, and mechanics. So it was actually STEAM for us, not STEM. Um, and that's how we actually have our bylaws set up. So we played with it for quite a few years and thinking, do we want to do this or not? Uh, a couple of other shifts in folks who are running it and uh, with the new set of officers that came in, uh, we went ahead and pulled the trigger. And we pulled the trigger about middle of June of December or of uh, middle of June in 2029 or uh, 2019. So, which is right before the pandemic hits. <laughs> so here's a question, so, like for people who wanted to start one. And again, I want to dig into the nonprofit for people wanting to start one right when I hear nonprofit, like an LLC spinning up an LLC, easy 50 bucks. Here's the fee. I ain't tax it as a sole prop. It's an afternoon job. Heck, if you pay an extra 50 bucks, I can have the whole thing spun up same day. Right. 
with a nonprofit organization, that seems like a Herculean task. There's a lot of paperwork. How hard was that to get set up? So I'll level with you to where we had uh, our treasurer, we'll, we'll call him Robe, went through and had been doing this for his soccer group in our local community. So he had already gone through this multiple times. And there's a, actually a pretty standard way to go through and do this as a template. Uh, and long story short, as long as you're not going through and making uh, the number that was told for us in, here in California, as long as you're not making over 50K per year, the filing for that is pretty straightforward. Because, I mean, any money that you bring in and, and money that you have out, you have to have receipts for. Okay, okay, we've been doing that for years. That's not hard. So when it comes to tax time, uh, the folks who donated to Awesome get that tax write-off. And then any individual now is not just holding the money and that's not being counted as income towards them. So it was more of a, we want to make sure this, uh, this group keeps their money, that they're able to, to continue to use it specifically for this organization to give back to the community. So that's why we separated it to have the 501c3 and keep that nonprofit. Uh, because at the time frame as well, with the, uh, the makerspace opening up in our area, which unfortunately since COVID has now been around for a bit, closed, uh, before then. So it was unfortunate to see another baking community uh, mm -hmm. die on the vine. So keeping things online and still engaging the community in other ways was very important to us. So uh, going back to like DEF CON groups or other sponsorships coming in, we didn't want the sponsorship to go through and say, okay, now we're just going to blast advertising in your face all the time, or we're only going to use this piece of software. We wanted to make sure we could still keep it organic and about subjects okay. that people wanted to talk so about. So that was our reasoning. So with a hindsight, now that you're a nonprofit, is this something we would recommend? Like you, you said how long you've been doing the awesome, the awesome Holland or the awesome ha hacker space for like 12 years. Yep. Is it one of those things you, you glad you waited on this time or like, when would you have done this previously? Like if, again, I want to keep this, like if I wanted to start one, if anyone of you were want to start a hacker space, should they immediately go after nonprofit status? Should they let it grow up a little bit and then do it? Like, but what, what do you think would be the the best timing on that? I would absolutely agree with letting it uh, grow up organically because once we got to about the, the 15, 20 people, we were outgrowing our space. That's when we started considering, do we want to rent a place for our own? And at that point, the dynamic changes a bit because we've done things organically because we were trying to bring in the community. Uh, who, ultimately, who is your hackerspace or your Holon trying to target? And mm -hmm. in our community, just having a space where people can borrow tools, uh, most people are hermits. And uh, before even before COVID, uh, there was an engineer every other door to where if you open up their garage, they were working with so many different tools, them trying to borrow or come to a, a place that you would basically rent tools like other maker spaces are, didn't make sense for our area. So we had to read our community and say, we're trying to share information and knowledge at this point. So while we may not open like a maker space, we had tools for that. We built a, the Maslow CNC together. We went through and did 3D printing together. Uh, we talked about setting up solar panels. And then we also went to the opposite side of the realm where more of the cybersecurity of setting up penetration testing labs, uh, doing like CTFD contests, working together and doing the um, the college classes or the, the college work of the capture the flags out there. So okay. I would say, for me personally, I would recommend if somebody's looking to start a hackerspace, start local, start small, start with your friends, and then start opening it up. And then organically over time, when it makes sense, 
Like if you're trying to be able to bring in dues or you're trying to now turn around and give back to the community by doing an outreach, by saying having a, a public, uh, here's a lock picking day or a public teach your kid how to code in scratch or a uh, Python 101 course back to the community, whether it's a, a, a college class, whether it's a summer camp, that's when you should be looking at like the 501c3 to where you can officially give back the, and the paperwork is not that complicated to go through. Okay. And that's, that's the thing where it seems to is like one of the things that you're, I'm kind of read, reading between the lines is don't overthink it. Like right. you had, you had one name and then you switched your name later on. You started it in your living room and then eventually moved to a restaurant is don't, don't overthink it. You're, if you keep, right. keep thinking about it, you're never started. You do, do what I did with so, so many videos on YouTube where it's like, you never get anything done because you're always thinking about like, oh, but what about this? What about this? Absolutely. And, so you've and to do that, we also had to go through and learn how to give the presentations, right? Not only as a presenter, but how are we going to record this? How are we going to reach end people? And then we're, we're using old or donated hardware, right? So our, our old school projector, okay, the lamp died. What are we going to do different? Grab an old TV. We can slap it up there. Here's a couple converters. That's okay. We're still going to make it work. And it was really the... Uh, the hacker mentality of we're going to piece this together come hell or high water. So give us five minutes. We need to switch gear a little bit. And now we're ready to roll. We're going to, we're going to hack it together. I'm sorry. I, it was, it was <laughs> duct tape and so, <laughs> yes, duct tape and bubble gum and a little fishing wire and might actually get to work. So when, yep. when you started this, one of the things you mentioned is privacy. Even at the beginning of our discussion, you said, I don't want to tell, I don't even want to tell about the other members, the officers, with becoming a nonprofit, you have to disclose some of those bylaws. So how have you kind of maintained privacy within your Holand or your hackerspace? Because like I even think about like for me, like my bit because I have my business registered, my name, address, all of this information is out there. And for you, you've been fairly private with all of this. How has that impacted things and how so has your mentality changed? That's an excellent question. And I'll say early on, we had issues to where that's why it was word of mouth because we didn't want to publicly say, hey, we're just going to XYZ's address and then blast that out every place. We wanted to select people who were interested and then bring them in. And because it was somebody's home to start off with, that was appropriate in my opinion. That way you were able to vet people and say, I trust this person to be in the area. Um, and early days, since we weren't a 501c3, privacy and anonymity was more important to us. So we didn't post our videos online, uh, partly because of the uh, employer was more cybersecurity conscious and didn't want a bunch of, uh, didn't want people to be uh, OSINTable. So open source intelligence gathering, uh, they wanted to have good OPSEC. So we kept it pretty private. While we recorded the presentations for folks to be able to share within the group, uh, that was not ever shared externally. And that was a pretty major deal. Once we went the 501c3, you're absolutely right. Those officers elected um, and chosen went through and knew part of that process was that their, their real names were going to be on a legal document saying that they're connected with this, this awesome Holon. And they agreed to it because they wanted to give back to the community. So those handful of individuals agreed to, okay, my anonymity on having this handle is now going to be somewhat connected with this real name and this other entity that we've been running for the last umpteen years. So, so that's why we waited forever 
to do that because the privacy and anonymity was more important. So it sounds like effectively, yeah, when you became a nonprofit, you had to give up that privacy. You're yes. kind of forced to, and you got to kind of get o over it a little bit. I know like for me and my channel, like at first it was like, I'm putting my real name out there. And then you realize no one cares. And right. kind of, it is one of those feelings of like the moment you put it out there, it's hard to pull it back as well. This also goes back, someone does ask in chat the capacity, the max capacity of your hackerspace. But before we jump into that, you mentioned now that it's now that it's a nonprofit, you have officers. Do you find that like that structure kind of gives you some confidence that this thing will survive you? Now, obviously, it's in it's in the side of your house. Is it still in the side of your house or is there a new new location? So since we moved a new location, we bought enough land to where we can build our own place and it can be dedicated to awesome. That's part of the reason we're oh, like, that's cool. <gasps> three quarters of an acre its own bathroom versus having to go inside the house and not this is going to be fabulous oh, i uh, didn't even think about the fact that you're sharing your bathroom and whatnot with the house oh that's a terrible idea a bunch of hackers with one bathroom inside your house yeah that is you were a we had two bathrooms man, for what it's worth <laughs> we had two bathrooms which is good but this still the same time it's like hey so you got to walk through the lap knock on the door twice and we had a, a sign on the door Knock on the door twice so the wife and kids know you're coming in. You walk down the hall and into the bathroom. So it wasn't horrible, but at the same time, it's like you have a lot of traffic because uh, whether typically we go through and we have our meetings and they were structured to where at a certain point in time, we'd order pizza. So we, we had our meetings. They were nice and long. And then we have pizza. So then people are going to need to wash their hands. They're, it, it was a it was an ordeal. But I love interacting with the community. It was absolutely amazing. Like we did a chili cook off one time, never again. Never <laughs> ever again. We so, we did do different potlucks and game nights too. And I mean, like <laughs> hackers against humanity or cards against humanity. We had a lot of fun in this space. We had quite a few people. That that brings up another question. I wanna I wanna dig into the first one I said though, was the the 5013C. The fact that when you, br I'm going to just keep butchering it. I think I got it right that <laughs> it's okay. time. It's but okay. when, you, I won't. <laughs> when you get that, you, do you have to set it up more like a trust in the sense you have to have officers, you have to have bylaws? Because I would imagine that would build in a, some resiliency to oh, absolutely. the hackerspace because now all of a sudden you're not critical path. There's people who vote on things to pass yep. it. You have a board and things like that. Did you absolutely. find structuring a lot of that gave you more confidence where you're like, I'm no longer critical path to this? So yes, it became official. I'll be honest with you, Silk. We were doing that way ahead of time. And because we had officers like starting year after year two, uh, we went through and said, okay, well, I was the secretary at the time. I'm like, uh, I don't like secretary name. I give me the data decryptor or the data archiver or something else like that. Um, but then we had uh, president, vice president, uh, treasurer, and those actually were pretty consistent all the way through. As people grew in their career, some people I ended up working with professionally, which was awesome. Other folks picked up and moved away. So things needed to, to move. And that was an important part of making sure that it wasn't a single point of failure to where that could be that torch could be passed on. And early days, since it was a local hackerspace, uh, we didn't have that much stuff set up remote early, early on. Um, later on, when we got to like COVID and such, we were doing streams online already and we went from going physical to also going through and doing things online. Our focus was more of the physical. So we would like set up a webcam in the back part of the room to where you could see the room. And then we'd have another stream just on the presenter as well, because with our anonymity that we wanted to keep with our members, 
we wanted to share with folks who had to be remote before COVID, uh, not showing the rest of the the conversations or the rest of the people behind the camera and the presenter. So they, okay. you knew if you stood up to the stage, basically, you were being recorded. That was available online, and that was making sure that people weren't talking about work where they were uh, at the hackerspace on a recording. So over time, we ended up changing to where, hey, we streamed the entire thing and then interacted with folks online uh, to, hey, we're just going to record the present uh, presentation to where if you want to talk live and talk shop and somebody ultimately talks about work instead of just keeping it to their projects at home, we weren't concerned about the employer going through and saying, hey, you shouldn't be talking about that or that's bad OPSEC. Just no. So we I'm had to change and learn that over time. Okay. I was writing a quick, if you saw me writing down, I wanted to write up a quick note on something else, but I want to get spin back to what would be the max capacity of your hacker space? This was asked in chat and it's, it feels like this would be one of those ones. And I'm going to maybe rephrase this because it sounds like you're kind of, you were growing as you hit max capacity, you hit max yes. capacity in your, your, your living room. And then you moved to the building that you to a restaurant to a Greek restaurant. And then you outgrew that and you went to another building so I'm going to rephrase this unless you want to clarify it in chat was what is the max you would want to grow a hacker space? Like what in your, in the future, like what's the biggest you see this going? So that's a great question. I want to keep it open to the, the organic growth and that ebbs and flows in time. So uh, at the most, when we had a, we had a college class end up coming in, and a couple of the local college community uh, professors come in and say, hey, we're bringing the class with us for this meeting. Uh, can you hold X amount of people? And we had, I think we maxed out at 30 people in the space. That's when we started looking at like, like ooh, if we wanted to get any bigger, how could we do that? And how could we do that in our current capacity? Because we're not going through and charging anything. It's just because I love sharing technology. The people who are presenting love sharing the projects that they're working on. And that's when we started looking at different buildings to where do we want to buy something or rent something? Um, and we also ended up uh, working together with the uh, the makerspace at the time when they were still open. We were able to move a couple of our meetings there to uh, work with the larger capacity. Otherwise, my lab that was connected to the side of my house, which was just the enclosed garage, uh, we could house 30 people, uh, 20, 22 comfortably. Uh, but the meetings ranged uh, from there being about 12 people to 18 people uh, throughout the year. Some so, are usually got kind of light because people were traveling. I want to dig into this a little bit more, though, because like one of the things you said, you want to share your passion. And obviously there's not really a limit on sharing it, but it moves it from being like more intimate when it's 10 people, 15 people where everyone kind of mm -hmm. knows each other. You get to hear everyone gets to share their projects and things like that. At a certain point, that's lost when you go to 2,000 people. You don't know anyone. Yes. So yes. do you feel at a certain point, if you grow, you go, okay, we're gonna, we have to start splitting this group up or we need to start segmenting it off? Do you think the value kind of starts ending at a certain point when it gets too big? I'll use DEF CON as an example, something near and dear. I don't know a gazillion people at DEF CON. And in some ways right. I'm so sad about that. And I'm using video as an excuse to go meet more people that I've never met before, but at a certain point, it doesn't feel like that intimate feeling you get with a smaller group. Do you feel you're going to start losing that if you get too big? So the answer to that and what we came up with was special interest groups or other groups that would meet. So we had 
people talking about Linux at the, the hackerspace meeting every two weeks. But then there was enough interest to where we started a Linux user group or a lug and they met on a certain night. So for folks who had a, a deeper interest, you could then go in and be intimate with those individuals by saying, hey, we're gonna go install, install Ubuntu this week, or I'm having an issue, uh, how can I get help with this? If you wanna install Gentoo for the first time, right? We also went through it, like I said, and had the Security Plus because that was one of the uh, certifications that this employer needed. So for us, instead of just trying to cram more people in on that Flex Friday meeting, we would go through and uh, set up different nights that you would come over and deep dive onto that to where it could still stay intimate okay. and using the same space. I want to spend, that's another one I want to dig into. Uh, Braden asked a question though, isn't a 50C3 just a corporation? Is there a difference between the two? Do you, do you run it like a corporation? I should say, as it should ask. So you can run it a handful of different ways. Um, so like C Corp, S Corp and such, uh, this one's set up as a corporation and then brought into the 501c3. So that's why we do have to go through and have a handful of board members. We do have to have a, at least an annual meeting. There are meeting notes for that purpose. We need to go through and report on any uh, income or any outgo or, or anything that's output as well. So, uh, yes, you go through and you have to set that up. You have to have your bylaws. Uh, we did mm -hmm. go through and like set up things at our local credit union. And in that use case, it makes it easy to where if you have at least two of the officers, everybody went through and signed the paperwork. But then if you have two of the officers go into where you need two signatures to be able to uh, withdraw any money and just make sure to keep everybody honest. If something goes horribly wrong with the, the group, then uh, you have to have a easy way to work together to get to that end goal of disbanding it. And we've never had that issue, which is awesome, uh, but it just keeps everybody accountable. So there's no situations much like uh, other folks were having where during the pandemic, people, uh, entire bank account was stolen when it comes to like the 501c3s, or uh, I think it was yeah. uh, Deviant Oleum and other folks when it came to Tool or another organization where that scammers was... just got in there and ransacked. Yeah, that one was uh, their debit card. So like that one was kind right. of like a straightforward. They were using their debit card. A scammer got the debit card. There was nothing internal at the organization unless something right. has come out. It was completely like it started as 30 cents, $3 transactions, and it grew over time. And when you have that big of a company, a lot of those things start going unnoticed until the numbers became Absolutely. really big. And then it was like. Well, the credit union only lets us go back or the, you know, our bank only lets us go back 90 days. And this has been going on for two years. And I know it was a, right. a lot of money. One of the so for us, we is, made sure just to set it up to where it was two people to be able to purchase anything, not only because of the board and we wouldn't make sure that we authorized where the money was going to as a group, but also just to make sure we didn't have situations like that to where there was just something trickling out over time. Is that a is that a technical thing? Like, if you have a debit card, couldn't I? Like, if I had a debit card for the CEO, can I just go swipe that? Or is so you, you don't even have a debit not, card? Exactly, we would intentionally go to the bank and get the the cash. Then we're in a pretty small town for what it's worth. So since we are meeting every two weeks, we'd also have an officers meeting once a week. If we needed to go take care of any business, it would be easy for us to say, "Hey, let's go take a five minute trip down the road." grab what we need to and take care of the, the finances that we need to. I'm curious at the structure of this. And by the way, I'm going to continue drinking my lemonade in which uh, Gowry said I was drinking out of a mustard bottle later and jokes on you. It's Absolutely. Totally mustard with a <laughs> S corporation. And that's what I, that's what I run a lot of my things through. You have shareholders, which are the people who own the stock. 
stockholders, mm-hmm. which is just me at this point, is people on the stock, they elect a board of directors. The board of directors then decides who the president and the vice president and secretary treasurer and things like that are. Do you have like a similar structure with yours where like all the members are voting members and they vote for board of directors and those board of directors elect positions? Is it kind of like the same structure? Absolutely. Yep. Very, very, very similar. And okay. when the group grows and shrinks, we we go through and have the ability for anybody to go jump on the board. We do that on a yearly basis to either reelect or uh, to swap in somebody else for those different positions. And anybody's open to do that. Uh, so, yes. And, and those are okay. all written as part of our bylaws that we have to have for the 501c3. Now, something you had mentioned earlier was you have focus groups or you have your smaller, your breakout groups. Yep. So even if it does become bigger, you still have these groups to pull everyone together. The question I had is you had mentioned you play cards against humanity. You do these, we'll say like team building activities. And I can see those being massively important because it's sometimes a strain doing educational stuff every single time. For someone who's starting one, what would you recommend as like some of the best games that you've played, which have pulled people out, have have gotten people out of their shells to introduce them to more people. Like what are the best games that you've done? So it is a horrible game, but cards against humanity really breaks down those barriers. <laughs> um, there is other family editions as well, depending on what age structure that you're going through and starting with for us, we are looking for more uh, high schooler and, or more of the college early twenties uh, when we were all getting started. So we weren't really focused on uh, the, the, high school age or the the longer than high school middle school and such when we started over time we ended up growing families and then we're like hey we want to make sure we can actually bring the kids to the the hackerspace meeting or the the geek club or whatever else you wanted to call it so we'd have different age groups for different uh different breakout groups if you will so the the hackers against humanity or the cards against humanity nights were going to be adults only um when it came to going through and learning how to go through and solder or folks going through and uh, learning how to breadboard that was open to everybody. And I'm, so to answer your question on what, what games, uh, team fortress Two, we also have land parties, right? So once mm-hmm. a quarter, we would get together and have a land party and uh, team fortress two was fantastic for that. Um, especially when you get to the mods, like the Teletubby mod, that was a lot of fun. Oh, um, <laughs> uh, when it comes to team building, uh, there was also like cyanide and happiness, which is again another adult type of humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, one when it comes to there is exploding kittens, which is fantastic. That's more of a a versus game versus a working together game, and you get a bunch of laughs. But I found that getting people together and just laughing uh, and creating an environment to do so. We had did like toss the burrito. Uh, we did. Um, I, we have an entire game cabinet full of games, so I'm, I'm blanking on a couple of them. But I imagine like Pandemic would be a great one where it's a good team one. But like the game which recently <laughs> I have just absolutely fallen in love with is the game Secret <laughs> Hitler because oh, it's just things. an absolute blast, like yelling at people, accusing them that they're a fascist or a liberal. And it's just like, ah, oh, that game. I need I need to bring that one to <laughs> DEF CON. And I do. Definitely. I know we're getting to the end, but I do want to cover DEF CON near the end before we do though i kind of want to sum a lot of this up which is if you are starting a hacker space can you run through in a, like a minute or two how would you go about with all the hindsight you've gained over the years how would you go about starting a hacker space starting today 
starting today, I would say get two or three of your friends who are interested in doing the so as well. How we started was DEF CON. Those same people from our same hometown, we didn't know each other for crap. And we just said, hey, let's do this thing. And we started it. Um, and I'm so glad that we reached out and worked together on that. So again, not trying to do this by yourself, work together with other people. Uh, it's no fun to do this thing solo. So work together, uh, start basic, don't overthink it uh, and just do it, right? So uh, get together, get the coffee shop uh, or, or if you need to be able to be socially distanced, you can meet outside, get yourself a projector or just work off of a laptop. The technology that we have now versus when we started was big and bulky versus what we're doing now. It's pretty easy to, to have a meeting together uh, or just doing it online as well. You can mm -hmm. share slides so easy now. People can tune in. Twitch is ubiquitous when it comes to OBS. So just start doing it and start small. Don't force the growth. You want to make sure people are interested and people wane and uh, they have interest in something for a while. Their life may get busy and then they may come back. We had multiple people who were deep into privacy, disappear for a while and then come back and say, oh, here's what I learned. Let me share this with you. Other people who literally took the book on uh, a Wireshark said, hey, can we borrow this hackerspace book? Changed their career in six months, going from ICS control to a, a penetration tester for uh, PLCs and all this jazz to where they started volunteering at the IoT village. So enable people, and I think that should be the driver, is that you want to enable and resource people to feed their passion. And as long as you're doing that organically, you're not looking to be able to make a bunch of money, and that's never been our purpose. When we started and now still today, I would say if you have one other person join your meeting, you're still changing the world by interacting with that one person. You've got to start small and then work your way out. That's awesome. Now, I think the best way to wrap this up, up here is what we're going to do. Let's wrap up with some final thoughts. I'm going to close this out and then I'm going to stop this recording and then we're going to call uh, we're, we're going to keep the live stream going and we're going to talk Defcon 30 some of the most recent um events that are happening with it pouring rain and casinos flooding. So if you're listening to the audio and you want to listen to that that's going to be on the YouTube channel right after this. So Gator, what what do you have what are you going to leave us with with this one? So realizing over time since my my threat model has also changed is we did not share as much as I thought we did publicly online. So I'm going to be going through and scrubbing some photos. Um, I'll be going through our last like 12 years worth of content, uh, reaching out to our uh, folks who are presenting, see who's comfortable with posting that online. But ultimately, to make sure that we're feeding back to the community, our meetings from here moving forward, all of our notes are going to be publicly available on our GitHub. And we want to make sure that that's accessible to folks. So we, we've switched... Uh, as part of this, make sure you have a web presence. Right now, I'm failing on that because we're switching from WordPress over to uh, using just GitHub pages. Make it simple. Make it easy for people to be able to start with uh, because we tried every CMS that's out there. And I mean every CMS, and that was part of some of our meetings. People would come back from scale, the Southern California Linux Expo, and say, oh, check out this new CMS. Oh, God. You're going to implement it. And Here's it, this it new has been JavaScript a framework. Like, it, I hate you so it much. Was an, <laughs> we had a lot of content, both pros and cons, but we were never afraid to try something uh, and, and not getting stuck with, oh, this worked for me once or this didn't work for me once. I'm going to forget it forever. Nah, you need to go continue to try that and move forward. So 
Uh, we're going to post more content online. We had been going through and just doing Twitch to where our members could uh, tune in live. And we changed it to where we are recording the presentations and posting those available online. We also avoided YouTube for the longest time because of the privacy side of the house there. The reality is if you can't help build your community and you're not getting your information out there, how are you ever going to make it larger? And the, with the organic idea, because there are a lot more people who want to work on a subject just like you, but if they don't know where you started because you've not put it out online, you're not sharing it and having the open source attitude. So while Awesome is supposed to be the open source security engineering modification group, we're going to be posting more stuff online to share with open source. And that's, that's my big takeaway is make sure you're sharing with folks, whether it's local or with other people online. And uh, love your hacker family. There it is. <laughs> uh, with that, I've learned a lot too. And I think a lot of it is just getting over those initial barriers. Those things hold me back. I know so often, especially with YouTube, when I wouldn't have started, you know, ha hacker hangouts without someone going like Gowry saying, dude, just freaking do it. Stop getting in your own head about it because no one's going to watch it anyway. And now we have people watching like you. So right now we're going to close this on up. Give us 10 seconds. We'll keep the stream going and we'll jump into DEF CON 30, which we are going to have a dedicated space this year, which I am pumped about in the vendor area, just down from hacker warehouse. The artwork is going live shortly and I am pumped as always. Thanks for watching and hack on.